Good morning, Mission View Church. It's good for us to be here together, to worship together. We're going to be looking in Ephesians chapter 5, so if you open your Bibles, we'll get there eventually. Ephesians chapter 5, we'll start at verse 18 in Ephesians. Um, If you're new to Mission View, let me just say, first of all, we are so thankful that you have chosen to come to Mission View. We want you to know we have our own Mission View app. If you want to get that, you can download that. You can listen to the music in advance to every service so it prepares your heart for the worship time. We'd encourage you to do that. But we hope that if you're newer to the church that this would be a rich experience for you, that you would feel the love of Christ here, and that you would realize that uh, Jesus is very much present in the hearts and lives of people that are here. So we're glad that you can be here. Now, we started a series two weeks ago called Family Life, and last week, our youth pastor, Adam, did an incredible job teaching on the parent uh, the child relationship, and I know he pointed out at the very beginning that out of all the speakers, he's the only one without children, but that's okay. You put them in the fire, and that's how, you know, you just put them on the spot, and that's how you learn. So, but no, I thought it was a great message, and I believe we could teach God's word. There are principles there, even if we don't have the experience of children yet. But today we're going to continue on in the Family Life series, and we're going to focus on the husband-wife relationship this week and next week. Wives, you are this week, and husbands, you are next week. Moms, we want you to have a great Mother's Day, so we're going to pound on your husbands next week, okay? So don't worry about it. We're going to get to those guys, but we are going to be gentle with the wives today. It's going to be awesome. But what I want to ask you today... now. First of all, if you are single, before I get into the message, if you're single, don't write this off. Don't think, oh, I don't need this right now. I want you to look forward to the day that you will be married. Now, if you're an old single, all you got to do is remember the things that are being taught here so you can mentor those that are under you. So so don't write this off. But for married couples, I want to ask a very simple question to begin with. And the question is this. Is your marriage healthy? It's just a simple evaluation. Is your marriage healthy? We've been talking about having a healthy church this past year. And what you need to know is healthy churches are comprised of healthy families. If the families are not healthy, then the church is not healthy. So we have to have healthy marriages. And we know that the statistics is that the divorce is the same for the church as it is for the world, the divorce rate. And so we need to focus in on healthy marriages. So answer the question yourself, is is your marriage healthy or is it in danger? Are there warning signs that are going off in your marriage? I want you to think about that. Now, if you've answered the question already that it is a healthy marriage, then congratulations. I am glad it is. I hope it is. I hope that is the case for every single person here, every single couple. But the reality is, it's not. It's not. In fact, often the church is the place where we hide our marriages. We come in on Sunday morning, we look good, we have our smiles, we act right, everything is, seems to be put together, and it's not until later on that the, someone announces that they're, they're splitting up or they're heading for divorce or one individual is left for another individual in an affair. 
and we're shocked in, by all of this. But what really happens is it starts with a crack, a crack in the dam. And that crack eventually, if it's not dealt with, it will eventually lead to the pressures and the problems of life just pushing forward in the marriage. And it eventually busts the marriage up. And, it may, and, and we sit there with, with our hearts picking up pieces, trying to figure out what went wrong. Here's what I know. Unfortunately, many couples tend to bury or avoid their problems. And they hope that they're just going to go away. Many of the warning signs are there, but they, they just don't want to deal with it because maybe they're not confrontational. They just hate confrontation, and so they don't want to deal with it. Or maybe they just don't know what to do, so there's a, a level of ignorance. And so we just do nothing. We just continue on. And we, we apply the definition of insanity. Remember what that is? You continue to do the same thing expecting different results, and it doesn't happen. And our marriage gets worse and worse and worse. Here's what God wants. He wants healthy marriages. So what I've done this morning is I'm giving you a quiz. Now this is a quiz. You're not going to write down the answers. You're just going to keep track in your mind what applies to you. Now I hope none of these apply to you. But I'm giving you 12 warning signs that would show that a marriage is going in the wrong direction. So just keep in your mind whether or not any of these apply to you. And if one or more applies, then you probably need to address this issue and get help. Number one, you seldom pray or read God's word or talk about spiritual things with your spouse. That's number one. Number two, you realize that the foundation of your marriage was built on the physical. In other words, before you got married, you were sexually involved and that was the foundation of your marriage. Number three, you, you make love very seldom. Maybe it's once a month. Maybe it's once a year. Maybe it's once a decade. Maybe it's not at all. Number four, you sleep in separate beds for non-medical reasons. Number five, you seldom talk about meaningful things, but you find yourself arguing all the time. Number six, you're more excited about a person, whether it's a coworker, a neighbor, a church member, somebody on Facebook. You're more excited about a person, a hobby, a sport, or even an animal more than you are your spouse. Number seven, you have secret accounts that your spouse doesn't know about, financial, Facebook, uh, emails, etc. Number eight, you are often thinking about what it would be like to be out of your marriage. Number nine, you tend to tune out your spouse as soon as they start uh, talking. Number 10, you lie to cover your tracks. Number 11, you don't feel you love your wife anymore. Number 12, you don't respect your husband anymore. Now, you keep track. Do any of these things apply to you? Today's message is really going to be the application to the problems that are addressed in these 12 issues. And I could have gone on and on with other warning signs. 
But what I'm going to tell you today is that this 35-minute message is not necessarily going to be the solution in and of itself just by listening to it. The message is going to be a remedy to you if you learn to apply it to your life. And here's what I can promise. If two people in a marriage relationship apply Jesus to their relationship, they will have a healthy marriage. That's my promise. If two people will apply Jesus to their marriage, you will have a healthy relationship. But it takes two people to do that. So today we're going to look at two commands that are given to us in the book of Ephesians. One is a general command that applies to all of us. And then there will be a very specific command that is given to wives. And so we're going to funnel it down as we go into our passage. But what I want to do is give you the context to Ephesians. In the book of Ephesians, it's written by a guy named the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul, true to his nature, wrote this book with the first three chapters being theological in nature, and then the last three chapters being uh, more practical in nature. Pastor Butch was with us uh, two weeks ago from Maranatha, and he talked about Colossians in the same way. First two chapters were theological of Colossians, and the second two chapters were practical. And like Colossians, just as it's stated in Colossians that you need to put to death your earthly nature— Paul, in chapter 4, has just gotten done talking about that in Ephesians. Saying, you got to put to death your earthly nature. It's vital for you as a believer that we cognitively, with our hearts, put to death the things of this world and that we put on Christ. And so by the time we get to chapter 5 in Ephesians, the very first words that Paul uses is, be imitators of God. In other words, he wants us to put on God in our life. We are the word for imitator means to mimic. You are to mime God. You are to mimic what God does. And so that might seem like a very tall uh, agenda for any one of us to be able to put on the characteristics of God. Now we're not going to put on sovereignty. We're not going to put on omniscience, but we can put on love. We can put on a lot of the tangibles that we see in Jesus. See, that's what God has done is he's given us Jesus as the example right here on earth on how we are to be imitators of God. And what's interesting, that's why in Ephesians 5, we're going to see it in our passage, that he uses phrases like, out of reverence for Christ, as to the Lord, just as Christ, because that's who he wants us to imitate. So the bar is set on us being Christ-like. You say, that's a pretty high bar. It's set on being godly. First Peter tells us that we are to be godly in this world. That's how we stand out. We need to have godly marriages. We need to be godly singles. We need to be godly students. We need to be godly business owners. We need to be godly employees. Godliness is the standard that God wants for all of us. So wives, do you want to be godly? Do you want to be Christ-like? Husbands, do you want to be godly? Do you want to be Christ-like? Everybody, do you want to be godly? Do you want to be Christ-like? Then take note because God's going to instruct us. So the first command is given to us in verse 18. And I want us to read the block of scripture here. And then we'll come back and make some observation. But here's the command. If you're taking notes, the command is this. Be filled with the Spirit. Be filled 
with the Spirit. Take a look at the passage. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery. That's a big word that means excessive indulgence. But be filled with the Spirit. There's the command. Address one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another, here it is, out of reverence for Christ. Now the first command that's given here is to be filled with the Spirit as opposed to being drunk. Now, what Paul is doing is he's using excessive drinking as an illustration here. This is not meant to be a full teaching on the the abuses of alcohol or whether it's right or wrong. He's using an extreme of those that are going in excess where they are becoming drunk. Now, the issue Paul is getting to is that of control. For the drunk, he is under the control of strong drink, so he's out of control. We saw a few of those when we went out to a Mexican restaurant on Friday night for Cinco de Mayo. There were a few too many margaritas that were being down, and you got people that are walking out a little bit sloshed. Now, if that person is pulled over and they're asked to walk a straight line, they're just kind of walking it wobbly because they're out of control. They're under the influence of that substance. But what God wants is instead of us being out of control, he wants us to be under control. Under control of the Spirit of God. You see, this is the key to all marriages. This is the key to all believers living out their faith that you are under control. See, this is what happened. Before you became a Christian, before you asked Christ into your life, you were under the control of your flesh. You are under the control of your flesh, and in that, you had a tough time controlling your mouth, you had a tough time controlling your attitude, you had a tough time controlling your behavior, your social activities, and for you, somewhat, uh, you know, life was about going to that Cinco de Mayo party, or it was going to the party and breaking loose, but all you were really demonstrating was how out of control you really were. But somewhere along the line, you realize that your life was out of control and you asked Christ to come into your life. You asked him to change you from the inside out. You surrendered yourself and you said, I want to die to myself and I want to live for you. And when that happened, God did something very special for each and every one of you. He placed his Holy Spirit inside of you. This is so cool. Ephesians earlier in the book says this in chapter one. It says, having believed, that's the surrender part, you were marked with him with a seal. The promised Holy Spirit. You know what a seal is? It was something to show that it was secure until the day in which the the groom would come and get the bride. And so we are sealed with the Holy Spirit. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you have been given, got part of the Trinity. The Holy Spirit is working inside of your life. He gives you instruction. He gives you understanding. He gives you conviction. When you're out of bounds, he's like, no, 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 no. Going the wrong way, Marshall. You need to go this way. I want you to live in a godly manner. So that's what the Holy Spirit does. Now, my friends, if you've never given your life to Christ, you're under the control of the flesh. You have never, ever really understood what it means to have the Holy Spirit guide you. 
But here's the beautiful thing. If you've accepted Christ, if he is in your life, you now have the opportunity to be in control of the Holy, by the Holy Spirit. Now, I say the word opportunity because it is not a given. See, when you got saved, the Holy Spirit's there for good. But now you have a choice as to whether or to obey God or not to obey God. In this life as a believer, I can do whatever a lost person does. I can disobey. I can go off on the wrong track. I can do anything that a lost person can do, but I have a choice now. And I want to choose to be Christ-like. And when I choose to obey the Word of God, that's when God says He fills me with His Holy Spirit. But when I sin against God, Ephesians 4 says, I grieve the Holy Spirit. 1 Thessalonians 5 says, I quench the Holy Spirit. And so what God wants is not for me to quench and grieve the Holy Spirit. He wants me to obey the Holy Spirit. Get this. God wants you to live continually under the influence of the Holy Spirit by letting the Word of God control you. By pursuing pure lives. By confessing all your known sins. By dying to yourself. By surrendering to God's will and depending on His power. My friends, we must choose, choose to pursue obedience to the Lord. So here's my question. Are you filled with the Holy Spirit? It's a simple answer. It's not a feeling necessarily. It's a matter of, am I living in obedience? See, here's the deal. This question would largely determine if you are on the right track in regards to being the wife or the husband that you need to be. See, over the years, I've had many couples come into my counseling office, sit on my couch, and for us to talk, and their marriage is in shambles, and there's one thing that is characteristically true of every single one of these couples. One or both are living in disobedience to God. They're believers, but they're living in disobedience to God. And because of their disobedience, their disobedience has taken them to the place where they have found themselves where they're lying, they're neglecting, there's more lies, there's no time in God's word, there's distance, there's anger, and possibly there are affairs, emotional, physical. My friends, in order for you to be on the right track in regards to your marriage, you have to have two spirit-filled believers. Now, please understand this. One person that's living in obedience and one person living in disobedience, it's not going to heal the marriage. But I will say there's benefit to the person living in, dis in obedience because you will lead your spouse to a better place by your example. And we'll see that here in a little bit. But this is what we need. We need spirit-filled couples. So what is the evidence of a spirit-filled couple? There's three things that Paul, the Apostle Paul mentions. Here's the first one. Do this in evaluation of whether or not these are characteristic of you. Number one, do you have joy? Do you have joy in your heart? Notice what he says. He goes right after giving this analogy. He says in verse 19, he says, Addressing one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing with and making melody to the Lord with your heart. You know what he's talking about? He's saying there's a culmination of our week 
After we have had worship with God and we fellowship with God throughout our week, we come together corporately. And what we're going to do is we're going to corporately worship together because that's what he's describing. And that's where your joy is going to be seen. When you sing out and when you encourage the person next to you by your singing, now you might say, my voice really doesn't encourage anybody. That's okay. That's okay. By singing with your heart, it does. I was at Maranatha last week, and when Pastor Butch told me that he cannot carry a tune worth anything, I was right next to him, and I heard him. He's horrendous. He's horrendous. But that man will bellow out a tune. Well, I don't, don't even know if it's a tune, but he bellows out, and it's a good thing. Because it's joy within. My friends, I don't care how good or bad you sound. When we are together in this corporate worship time, it's a time for joy to be, show, to, for it to be seen in our life. And we encourage one another, but we also encourage God. Now here's the deal. Psalms were scripture set to music. It was their way of remembering their history because their psalm book in the Bible was a song book. The hymns were theological songs that taught them about the, the, the nature of God. The song we just sang about the Holy Wedding Day was a theology song. It taught us about the bridegroom and us being the bride. And then there's spiritual songs, which are testimonial songs about how God interacts in our lives. These are ways in which we can allow the joy of God to ooze out of us. So is the joy of God oozing out of you? That's number one. How about number two? Thankfulness. Another evidence of being a spirit-filled believer is that there is thankfulness in your heart. This is what it says in verse 20. Giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Notice it says giving thanks always and... So there's a general attitude of thankfulness, but everything to God the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus, because that's where our blessings come from. See, this is a sign of a humble heart. Thankfulness is a sign that we are humble before God because we take time to recognize where all the blessings have come from. You've had a rough week. You've had a tough time with your job. You've had a tough time with the kids. Get alone, solitude, and think about what you're thankful for. The story is told of two prisoners who went into jail that were unjustly tried and put into jail. One grumbled all the way. All he could see was the walls and the bars on the window. And as a, heart, as a, as a result, he was a miserable person. The other person didn't see the walls, didn't see the bars, but looked beyond the bars and saw that there was a starry sky that he could see and he could gaze upon that and realize that there was a wonderful creator out there that had everything in control. One saw bars, one saw stars. What are you? Many of us in this life go through this life where all we see is the bars and the problems of this life. All we see is the difficulties. And yes, this life, my friends, will never end with difficulties. I know. It's happened in my life. But there's no excuse. Because those difficulties we've already been warned about. Didn't Jesus tell us in his word that there will be trials and persecutions? There will be trials and difficulties in this life in multiple forms? 
Sometimes we look at all these trials and we're like, why? Why is this happening? Get beyond the bars. Get to a place of gratitude and be thankful, and especially in your marriage. One, one thing that my wife and I have done over the years, and I did it again this morning, is that I have renewed my t top 10 things that I love about my wife. And so these are the top things that I'm thankful for. And my commitment is to pray that back to the Lord every time I have a prayer time, thanking my God for what God has given me in my spouse. I want to challenge you to make that top 10 list for your spouse and for you to pray that back to the Lord every single day when you have your prayer time. Because it helps us with an attitude of thankfulness. Are you a thankful person? And here's the third indicator of whether we're spirit-filled, and that is submission. Verse 21 says this, Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. This is an evidence that we are spirit-filled believers. Now, here's why it's an evidence. By nature, our flesh is very independent. Have you noticed that? Have you noticed that we naturally go to selfishness? Have you noticed that we want to live for ourselves? That's what's natural. What is supernatural is when we start putting ourselves to the side and we put others ahead of us. And we apply Philippians chapter 2 where it says in verse 3, do nothing out of selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind consider others more important than yourselves. Having this same attitude Christ had. Do you see that? The connection? We are to be like Christ. That's where the bar is set. Church, are you in the habit of helping others be more successful than yourself? This is exactly what submission does. It does it in marriage. It does it in business. It does it in church. It does it in life. So this is the spirit-filled believer. This is what we need. This sets the groundwork for a wife to be the wife that she needs to be. So wives, now we're going to focus in on you just for a little bit. And this is the second command. And the command is this. Wives submit to their husbands. Submit to their husbands. Now I know that wording doesn't play well in today's society. And I'll address that in a minute. But it's in the word of God. And so let's look at what the Word of God says. Let's read the block of Scripture and make a few observations. Verse 22. Wives, submit to your own husband, husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and himself the Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Now, the second command here is pretty obvious. Wife, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. Now, in today's world, we know that the word submit screams in our society of a chauvinistic sexist. That's what people would say in our society. But I assure you that that is not God's intention by using this word. If anything, if you knew yeah, the, actually, the scriptures, the New Testaments liberated women of that day. What he means here is the word submit is a compound Greek word which means to willingly rank or place yourself under. To willingly rank or place yourself under. 
So here's submission. Here's what this means. Submission is not something that a husband commands, but rather it is something that a wife willingly and lovingly offers. And it's a beautiful thing. Now, that word itself is something that we do every single day, all of us. We have to in order to operate in society. When we go to work, we willingly submit ourselves to our boss. If we didn't willingly submit ourselves to our boss, then it would be slavery. Every day, we drive through town and we drive the speed limit. We willingly submit ourselves to the police officers who are governing us. If we don't, it will hurt our pocketbooks, won't it? When we go to the restaurant, we willingly submit ourselves to the cook who is going to, in our hopes, cook us a nice meal. We willingly submit to their uh, abilities. And in marriage, a wife willingly submits to her husband because she desires to show respect to her husband. Now notice there's a boundary put on this in terms of the wife. It says the wife is to submit to her husband as to the Lord. Now it's not saying your husband is your Lord. He is saying in regards to the Lord. In other words, in service to the Lord. Colossians 3 verse 18 puts it this way. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Now, this actually gives accountability to the ladies in terms of their attitudes and their actions. Ladies, there's going to be plenty of times and there have been plenty of times that you do not want to submit. You don't feel that your husband deserves for you to submit to them. You're going to feel this great temptation to usurp their leadership because they were unreasonable. They were unloving or they were downright mean. But get this, understand this. Because your ultimate submission is to Christ, your attitude is that you, are, you will submit as an act of obedience to the Lord regardless of your husband's worthiness or spiritual condition. Or his spiritual condition. That's why we're told in, in 1 Peter this. Wives, submit in the same way, in the same way to... You know, in, in the same way, wives, submit to your husbands so that if any of them do not believe the word, may be won over without words by the behavior of the wife when they see the purity and reverence of your lives. I know that this isn't easy, but what God's this is God's design for order in the home. But note also, as fitting as is fitting, tells us that you're not to do things that go against Christ. In other words, if your husband's leadership takes you down a road where he's asking you to be immoral, he's asking you to be dishonest, he's asking you to do something that goes against the character of Christ, that's the boundary there that keeps you safe. You are to follow Christ at all times and not your husband at that time. Now, in the next few verses, what we have is the reasons for the submission. Now, this is somewhat set up in an ideal situation where the wives are spirit-controlled, the husbands are spirit-controlled. So we're going to look at it in the idealistic way, but then we'll look at practically how do we deal with it when it doesn't happen that way. Reason number one why a wife should submit is this. Wives recognize that their husband is her leader. 
just as Christ is the leader of the church. That's what he says in verse 23. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body. Now, the idea of the head is giving an it's, it's relating to leadership. That's what he's saying. Christ is the leader of the church. The husband is the leader of the home. Now, husbands, you are to follow the example of Jesus, who is the leader of the church. And so let me mark this. This is really important. If you are a spirit-filled husband living for obedience, then when you do what Jesus does, then it makes it easy for your wife to follow your leadership. I guarantee you. It makes it easy for your, for your wife to follow your leadership. Think about Jesus. Think how he loved and led the church. Jesus had compassion on the poor and needy. Jesus loved sinners. Jesus fed the hungry. Jesus taught the word of God. Jesus cried over a friend who died. Jesus healed the leper. Jesus calmed those that were distraught. Jesus was patient with those that were slow to learn. Jesus was kind to the blind man. Jesus was generous with his time. Jesus was gentle with the children. Jesus was joyful when he was feasting with his friends. Jesus was highly unusual in the people that he loved. Jesus was humble in how he washed his disciples' feet. And finally, Jesus was sacrificial in that he went to a cross to die for all humanity. Now, husbands, I can hear you say, I'm not a healer. I don't have the gift of, I can't touch somebody. And heal. Well, you can heal with your words. You say, well, I, I'm not going to die on a cross. I can't die on a cross. That's already been done. You're right. It's been done for you. So all you got to do is die to yourself. See, this is how we emulate Christ as spirit-filled husbands. As spirit-filled husbands, when we do this, it's no problem for our wives to follow our leadership. Amen? Amen? I want to hear something. Amen? Men, when we do this, we are spirit-filled men, and it is easy for our wives to follow our leadership. Amen? Guys, we need to take note of that. The second reason is this. The wives recognize that their husband is her protector just as Christ is the protector of the church. Take a look at what it says. It's just a small phrase. And is himself its savior. Talking about Jesus. Jesus was our savior, right? So what does it mean that Jesus was our savior and how does that parallel to us as husbands? Jesus protected all of humanity. He protected all humanity by dying for our sins. He went, uh, he prevented it so that we do not have to die for our own sins and we don't have to go to hell. He protected us by dying on the cross, by being buried and rising from the grave. Now, we don't have to do that as husbands. We've already covered that. But what we are in the heart or in the sphere of what Christ has done, we should be having a, a provative type of attitude in our hearts. We want to provide for our family. We want to protect our family. We want to preserve our wives and lead her to a place of blessing that, she, that uh, in her submission to him. Husbands, 
And wives, I know that this is a high bar, but once again, it's easy when men have that attitude. And here's the third reason uh, in terms of wives submitting. The wife submits to her husband and everything because she respects him. She respects him. Verse 24 says this, Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Now I'm going to jump over a bunch of verses that we're going to cover next week, and there's a summary verse in verse 33 that needs to be tagged on here. It says this, However, let each one of you talk about husbands, love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. See, verse 33 is giving us a clue. It's giving us a clue of what men and women need. Women need love in the relationship. Men need respect. Love, respect. To prove this, there was a survey that was given to 400 men. They were asked, if you were forced to choose one of the following, which would you prefer to endure? Would you prefer to be A, left alone and unloved in the world, or B, to feel inadequate and disrespected by everyone? 74% of all the men said they would rather be left alone and unloved in the world rather than been feeling inadequate and disrespected by everyone. Why is that? Because God has motivated men by respect. In the military, we have brave men and women that fight for us. Now, I can't speak for the women, but I know for the men, I've heard so many testimonies of how many men are just motivated by this idea of honor and brotherhood and going in together and coming out together. And there's just this deep sense of honor because honor is related to respect. Why? Because that's how God has created men, because we want that respect. So this is what husbands and wives needs. So when each person is spirit-filled in the relationship, we have no problem. We have an awesome marriage. Here's where the problem comes in. The problem comes in when somebody in the marriage is not spirit-filled and only maybe one person is living for the Lord, one person is not, or you have two people that are disobedient. One person is looking at the bars, the other are looking at the sky. And they see the, gra the gratitude and one is grumbling all the time. In his book, Love and Respect, which I would highly, highly encourage you to read if you haven't, there is a crazy cycle that is put in this uh, by Dr. Emerson. Dr. Emerson shows what happens with this whole love and respect thing. This chart shows that a wife who does not feel loved will not show respect. And a husband who is not respected will not show love. And the crazy cycle goes down and down and down because he's not showing love. She's not giving respect. And it just is a vicious cycle away from what should be. And in that relationship, he doesn't say kind words. He doesn't help out around the house. He doesn't give loving touches in a way that's meaningful. She says that he, or he says that she doesn't recognize the fact that he works so hard in the family, that he works over 50 hours a week. She doesn't see how he provides for the family. She doesn't value his input. And down and down and down and down we go. And it's just a vicious cycle. It's a crazy cycle. Now, the only solution to this crazy cycle is that one person 
initiates being Jesus in the relationship. One person has to initiate being Jesus in the relationship. And when this happens, it becomes an energized cycle. It has the opportunity to become an energized cycle. The chart shows that the wife who feels love wants to show respect to her husband. And when the husband has received that respect, he wants to show love to his wife. And now the cycle is going up and it's positive and it's going in the right direction. He says kind words. He helps out around the house without being told. He gives his wife a loving embrace just because he loves her so much. She affirms him on how much he's been working for the family. She appreciates the fact that he provides and protects. She values his input and sincerely wants to hear it. The cycle goes up. My friends, this is the spirit-filled model that should be in our marriages. In his book, Dr. Emerson also gives an acrostic that, that helps both the men and the women. I want to close with that because I think it would be helpful. He gives an acrostic for the women, for the men to understand their wives. And he uses the word couple. And I'm not going to go into it in great detail. You need to buy the book. Read it for yourself. But you'll get the idea. C represents closeness. That's what a woman wants. She wants openness. O. She wants understanding. U. She wants a peacemaking husband, P. She wants loyalty and she wants to be esteemed. That's what she wants. Wives, they, the husbands need respect. And he puts in, in his acrostic of the husband these things. Now, I need to explain a few of these words because you, they might hit you the wrong way. First of all, conquest. This isn't barbaric conquest. This is just that deep desire inside of a man to achieve, to work, to accomplish. There is that sense of adventure that is in a man, and he needs that, and that needs to be recognized. H represents hierarchy. Uh, that's not a dictatorship. It's an umbrella. It's an umbrella that says, I want to provide. I want to protect for my family. That's what a spirit-filled man is going to want to do. Authority, A, authority is, again, under that umbrella where he wants to be able to lead. He wants to feel like he's leading his family. But many times that gets reversed in the household where the wife naturally takes that position because the man has said, I lead at work, I lead at other places, I'll let her lead at home. But really inside of him, he's been created to lead, to have authority. I is insight. He has counsel. He has things that he analyzes that he wants to be able to give his insight. R is relationship, that shoulder-to-shoulder -shoulder bond between his wife and himself. And finally, I think you know what S is, don't you? Sexual intimacy. He wants that closeness, and I believe the wife does as well. Dr. Emerson, often when he's counseling with the wife, will say, I want to give you the respect test. And here it is. I want you to make a list of all the things that you respect about your husband. And I want you to go home and I want you to begin to articulate these things. Change this cycle and see if he starts loving you better. My friends, God, why do we go into these details? It's because God wants healthy families. He wants healthy marriages. And as we close out this morning, here's what I'd like to do. I would like to pray a prayer for the wives. 
And if you are a single woman looking forward to being married someday, then you can pray this as well. But I would like to close with this, and I want you to think about the words, and if you're willing in your heart, pray this to the Lord. Would you pray with me? Dear Lord, my desire is to be a godly woman who fears you and honors you no matter what the cost. I ask that you will fill me with your spirit as I seek to obey your word in my life. I ask that you will give me your joy, that you will fill my heart with gratitude, and that I desire to put others first in my life. I admit that I struggle with just the opposite of these things, but with your help, that can change. In my marriage or future marriage, I ask that you would help me recognize the leader that my husband is, wants to be, or needs to be. Help me to be Jesus in the relationship as I strive to support him as a leader of our relationship and our family. I also ask that you help me to see daily the ways that he desires to provide and protect me. Give me gratitude in my heart and in my words so that I can affirm him daily. And finally, help me to recognize all the things I respect about my husband and help me to find ways to creatively communicate my heart to him. Lord, we are two imperfect people, but we are your children. Please use your spirit to bring conviction to our hearts so that we can be the couple that brings you honor and glory. In Christ's name, amen.